16th of June. Here we are on Sportsnet today. My name is Ryan Pinder. We've got a uh, full house today. Patty Dumas over there, GVP, intern of the week. Don't know if you've uh, received your award yet. Also here in attendance. And it uh, is the day after game one in the Stanley Cup final. Avs early in overtime, take game one. And boy, it was times last night we were curious. Is this. Uh, this going to be the competitive series we were promised or hoping for? Uh, yes, it appears it may be just that. Bolts weren't sharp, but they did score twice in less than a minute. 3-3, extra time. Love to see it. Go ahead and give us six more of those, would you? Uh, Sportsnet Today brought to you by our good friends at Wild Rose Brewery. Proudly brewing their beer right here in Calgary. You can find them at the Tap Room and Restaurant in the Curry Barracks or... Go ahead and find your favorite beers at liquor stores and bars around the province. It's Thursday. It is 9.07. That means Kevin Woodley of Ingoal Magazine is listening to me ramble on the other end of the phone line. Uh, Woodley, here we are. Uh, four goalies left standing, and we certainly know three of their names. Yeah, I, I, it's going to take a catastrophe for us to see the fourth. Although, yes. like Brian Elliott as a 35-plus signing backup, for the Tampa Bay Lightning was really good this year. So let's not discount uh, his role in their season. But certainly one of the things that makes Andre so remarkable is the durability. I think it's Mike McKenna, um, who's now doing some media stuff and obviously played in, in the in the league and in the AHL back and forth for a long time that coined the phrase, uh, durability is an ability for mm. goaltenders and a key one. Um, the ability to, we, we saw it in the playoffs, right? We saw you know, teams lose goalies, get injured. We saw what the Nashville Predators went into the playoffs without uh, Charles so right. make it through this season, right? Like, like what Vasilevsky has done playing this much hockey, um, and they're a team that, despite the reputation in the early years of these three straight Stanley Cups, did lean fairly heavily on their goaltender, um, and have since at various points. They're a good defensive team, but they have moments where they sort of, I don't want to say forget, they just sort of neglect that identity because they're able to win without it. Um, and he's been so good. And all three playoff runs, like not a single minute for Curtis McElhenney as the backup in the last two. And like I said, it would probably take something disastrous for us to see Brian Elliott in this one. It really is amazing to play at that level and play as often as he does and never sort of need to come out of a game or never get hurt is it's remarkable. It's just another sort of feather in the cap for the best goaltender in the world. Yeah, and you know what? You talk about it all the time. Being available to go into the net is a very huge thing for netminders. You know, some you may say it's luck. You may say, okay, it's your body type. Well, whatever it is, being ready to go in if you're the number one and not having to go to an inferior netminder in big games, that's a huge asset. Vasilevsky's got it. And to be fair, I feel like that's one of the things that's held Darcy Kemper back from being considered one of the elite netminders in the league. Yeah, no, no question. And, and, you know, it's like you said, it's not always the goalie's fault. Like, like what Kemper's going through or has gone through in these playoffs, like the stick going through the cat eye in the cage and clipping his eye. And you know, I know we haven't had confirmation that that's what took him out of the Edmonton series, um, but certainly some talk that it was vision related. And so you've got to sort of look back at what happened in that series and assume that had something to do with it. Like that's a fluke. You're going to have moments, you're going to get run over in the crease and piled into and, you know, like Jordan Bennington did, and that's not on the goalie. Um, but certainly wear and tear, uh, maybe it's not on the goalie either because maybe more teams need to realize, like what, the three goalies that played the most this year 
Connor Hellebuck, UC Saros, and Thatcher Demko. And two of the three didn't make it to the end of the season. So there's a lesson there, not mm. just for goalies and durability, but maybe for teams and how we use them. And as much as there's an old school mentality that what I'm about to say or what I'm saying right now is just soft, um, it may just be the new reality. I, that said, like I've had conversations with goalie coaches who, while trying to sort of instill these lessons upon their coaching staff, have gotten into disagreements with some older school head coaches and assistant coaches that are like, if you left it to them, they would be playing their, like they really cannot understand why their elite number one netminder can't be Grant Fear and play 79 games. Like that's a bit of an exaggeration, but no exaggeration. Like honestly, conversations where these assistants and head coaches are like, well, why can't he play 70 or Mm -hmm. 75 or 72? And it's just, you know, Let's look at the studies. The butterfly creates dropping into a butterfly is two or two and a half times the weight of the human. That's how much create force is created. So, you know, every time you drop into the butterfly, it's 400 pounds of force for the average goaltender. That's a lot of, that's a lot of pressure on the hips, knees and ankles. And, you know, as the position has changed and put more stress on the body, I think the ability for the body to endure it um, the way it used to uh, has changed significantly as well. So everybody's got to kind of learn a lesson here. And, uh, geez, an old-school guy and maybe some push and pull between the goalie group and that guy, um, goalies playing 70 games. I wouldn't be surprised if the Calgary Flames fit that description with Jacob Markstrom's usage this year. Oh, I, I get it. I'll throw out the caveat. That I, I'm not going to name the teams that have had that conversation, and I don't know what those conversations are like with Daryl. I think there probably is a history there of playing um, a lot you know, of number one number goalie. One. Yeah, yeah, and 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 playing them a lot. Um, but but I will say that that conversation wasn't with the Flames, so I'm not throwing shade uh, at Daryl or at the Flames in that regard. Like like that conversation, as extreme as it was, definitely wasn't. Um, with Calgary, with the Flames, but certainly, like, the new normal has to come down. Um, and to be honest with you, it probably hurts the number one goalies. Like, if the new normal is going to be 50 instead of 60, um, you know, and I've, I've, I've seen, you know, it went from sort of 65 to 60 to 65, and now it's, you know, 55 to 60, and now I've heard some teams talking about 50 to 55. Like, if that's going to become the new standard, because anything above that, you're, you know, unless you've got a Vasilevsky, you're risking not just injury, but having your guy be at way less than his best when it matters the most, like if that's the new normal, how are we allocating our funds? Can we afford to, you know, have $8 million goaltenders if they can't be one of those guys? Like Igor Shusterkin's on a pretty good ticket right now. I can't remember the term, but I think New York gave him 5.6. Mm-hmm. And there are probably some people that'd be like, "Oh, that's going to be a bargain." Like he's a, you know, Vasilevsky's what a nine and a half billion dollar goaltender. Yep. Well, if Vasilevsky's going to play two thirds more of the schedule and do what he's doing in the playoffs and stay healthy, and Igor is going to be capped in the fifty range, then maybe that's a fair discrepancy. And unless you're one of those, you know, sort of freakishly uh, athletic ability to stay healthy goalies like Andre, which again, short list. Um, you know, maybe we have to cap what we're paying goaltenders. As much as someone's going to come knock on the door right now and take away my union card, uh, if, 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 if goalie can only handle, you know, that portion of the schedule, if we get to the point where 50 is the max, then you have to be careful. And that's why I think, 
some of the biggest decisions in terms of free agency and, and developing and, and even drafting and building your old goaltenders are not just about making sure you have a number one who's ready to go, but making sure you have a depth chart that can allow him to be at his best in the playoffs because you don't have to play the wheels off him in the regular season. Um, okay, so let's let's get back to the Stanley Cup final. Uh, good thoughts okay. there. Um, the decision A to go to Kemper, not Francois, who closed out the series against Edmonton, and then just thoughts on a very busy night for Vasilevsky. Um, I mean, the decision to me was a no-brainer as long as he was healthy. I thought it was always going to be Darcy. And that's not just because I think he's got a bit of a higher ceiling or the fact that this is sort of the natural order of things. And by that I mean, like, if you if Darcy struggles or if Darcy is struggling with his vision again, you know that Frenzos is there in a role he's comfortable in coming off the bench. Like this is sort of the roles that they're used to and have performed well in in the past. So why would you abandon them now? Was my first thought. But mostly, despite you know a lot of the talk around Frenzos and 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 being super impressive, he's actually got a worse adjusted save percentage in the playoffs than Darcy Kemper. Now, the bad news for the Colorado Avalanche is that's 23rd amongst the 30 goalies that have played in the playoffs so far, and Darcy's 22nd. So goaltending hasn't been a strength for this team, and yet, and we've talked about this before, they're built as a team that doesn't necessarily need elite. They just need no bad goals and, yep. and, and sort of average goaltending. In this case, they're in the Stanley Cup final with – you know, below expected, below average goaltending at this point. So um, to me, for a lot of those reasons, you know, especially the fact that at the end of the day, Darcy's actually been better in the playoffs, that was a bit of a no-brainer. And we're not surprised Vasilevsky has been busy. Uh, it's we've seen it in other series. I think Tampa's going to want to slow things down, but I think they kind of did last night in a way as well after the the hot yeah. start from the Avs anyway. Um, other thoughts around the goalie universe. So we sort of got into today the rumor mills churning. Uh, every time there's talk of a goalie moving, being that John Gibson or a free agent out there or a team that's maybe got a prospect and a vet. Like today it was, oh, Bobrovsky. It sounds like the Panthers are trying to move him. Well, he's got $40 million left in four years. But like every time we hear about a goalie, the first team that, that in our head pops to mind, and maybe it's a regional bias or just recency bias, we're thinking about the Oilers. Uh, you're not so sure it's going to be easy to upgrade in net, and that's kind of the spot they were in last offseason. Yeah, absolutely. And I just want to, one quick caveat, because you asked me this question in the question before, and I didn't, I didn't get both parts of it. I just want to quickly address Andre Vasilevsky yeah, last sure. night. Because I know the narrative on three goals against in the first period and you know first game struggles, the numbers all match it. But I actually didn't think that was a bad game for him. Like, the first three goals, okay, the first one goes under his arm and you never want pucks going through you, but don't ignore the flash screen that his own defenseman creates, basically crosses right in front of his field of vision as the shot's being released. So that one, you know, I I don't have the sort of chance quality stuff from last night up, like they haven't processed it at a clear site yet this morning, so I don't know if that was a mid or a high danger. I'm guessing it's mid, but I'm willing to bet a lot of money it's not a low. And the one... In the slot, like everyone's like, oh, he got beat five hole. Like, did people not see the deflection off the stick of Bogosian? Like, from that range, that open a look, you have to react off the release. You have to be going to the puck before the release. You can't wait to see what happens when it hits the stick. You can see Vasilevsky. That shot is going high glove. You can read it off his hand. You can read it off the blade. 
he is shooting high glove. And you can see Vasilevsky, we want you to hold edges. We don't want you to be committed down early. He is reacting up into a high glove shot, hits Bogosian's stick and goes between his legs. And I would assume the five-on-three backdoor tap-in at the end of a frantic, busy segment for Vasilevsky that I think, you know, Hockey Night showed a good job, did a good job of showing that he was gassed by the end of that. But like a backdoor tapping in that circumstance, like there aren't many goalies in the league that are stopping that one. So I didn't think the first period was necessarily bad by him. Um, I thought there were some bounces that went against him in that one. And then on the overtime winner, he stops that 100% of the time if he sees the pass. He got locked in a little low and wide, but he doesn't. you watch his head. He does not see that pass until that puck is almost on uh, the stick of, of Burakovsky. Uh, there's no chance for him as much as there's no goalie better in the league at getting powerful pushes from, you know, low wide stances and extended positions like nobody. There wasn't enough time by the time he finally saw that pass to make any type of load up for a proper push. If he sees where that pass is going, if he doesn't sort of get low and wide expecting a shot, he stops that one along the ice every time. The, to me, it was all about not seeing that puck. So that's one that everybody will go cross-ice pass, and that's a factor and the key factor. But without the screen to prevent him from seeing the pass, that's a save almost every time for him. So I wanted to get into that. Now I'll go to Mike Smith, Negative. make this a really long-winded segment. All good. Um, over the last two years, regular season, and listen, I am not ignoring or pretending the playoffs didn't happen. And as they went on, the level of play dropped. Puck handling went from a strength to an issue. No question, all those things. But over the last two regular seasons, including funks this year that were so bad, every time I did radio in Edmonton, it was about getting rid of Mike Smith, moving on completely from Mike Smith midseason, and just going with Miko Koskinen uh, and Stuart Skinner. Like, that's the level that Oilers fans were at with Mike Smith when he struggled to come back from his injuries. Um, Including those struggles, how many goalies do you think have a better expected save percentage than Mike Smith in the NHL over the past two seasons? Not many. I mean, it's been streaky, and when it's bad, it's bad, but he's been really darn good. I would think he's probably in the the top quartile or third of the league. How about about we're talking like seven guys have been better? He's he's tied with Marc-Andre Fleury, who won a Vesna in that stint. And two of those guys are Billy Huso and Logan Thompson. Small sample size, Thompson especially. So even if you count Huso, the list of guys that have been better in the regular season statistically than Mike Smith, Igor Shesterkin, Thatcher Demko, Andre Vasilevsky, Ilya Sorokin, who, by the way, second half of the season played at a Vesna-worthy level and could very well by this time next year be in that conversation with Shesterkin and Vasilevsky another Russian in the best goalie in the world conversation. UC it's crazy Saros. who they could take to a World Cup slash Olympics right now. You, you could go Sorokin, Shesterkin, Vasilevsky. Are you kidding me? You want to know what's crazier? They probably find a way to screw it up. Yeah, they always do. Um, <laughs> they probably just yeah. take Bob. They do, they've done it many times uh, before with other options. But so that's the list. Like, that's the list, Ryan. Like, and again, I'm like, so I understand in Edmonton, it's like, we want a goalie that can get us to a cup because we think everything else is ready for that. We can't waste any more Dreisaitl and McDavid uh, years, all those things. And I get that. And I'm not ignorant to any of that. I'm not pretending the playoffs finished great for Mike Smith. But in terms of replacing him and getting to the playoffs, that's how short the list is of guys that have been better than him statistically over the past two seasons. Right, right. But and hang let's on, not forget hang on, that he only on. makes $2 million. 
two million bucks. Are you expecting next year to look like his renaissance career of two years ago and last year put together? Like, there's a difference between looking at the last two years and projecting forward. Are you projecting him to be a top seven goalie in the league next year? And versus the expected. Pro- the, the, pro- the problem is in this part, I can't ignore either, is the age and the injuries. Exactly. And the injuries. The availability. We talked about it off the top. How, how, do you 100%. know he's going to be available? Absolutely not. Hey, Mike Smith, day-to-day. Mike Smith, week-to-week. Mike Smith, two months. And now you got to play him back into form. Like, no one yeah, here is saying no, he's a bad goalie. It's just you never know what you're getting. Yeah, and, and that's the problem. Like, he got back to that level. He was one of the best goalies in the league for the entire month of April. Like, he got there. But... You're right. It's it's the availability is an issue in the health, and especially if you hear him now questioning whether he has the willingness to go into the offseason and do the work required. Um, and that's always the battle. It's a conversation I've had with you know a lot of goalies over the years, including Carey Price in recent years. Like that sort of the work it takes in the offseason to be ready once the season starts. If you're not willing to commit fully to that, um, then it's certainly not going to get better at age 41. I'm And again, I'm not saying you roll him back. If he retires, they've obviously got to find somebody else. If he doesn't, I mean, they've got that contract they've got to figure out. I'm just saying Oilers fans who seem to think it's it's easy to replace him. And some of the names I've seen, you know, sort of tossed around as upgrades. Um, man, like, don't assume that's an upgrade. What's going on with John Gibson? He, he was a very young, early to success, elite netminder. And the team's gone the other direction, but so have his numbers against expected, not just his raw numbers. Like it's, what have you seen from Gibson in Anaheim? And with a regime change there of a new general manager, the the coaching staff's entirely different. Getzlaff's now gone. This is not the group that you know that kept the Flames from winning there for like ten years or whatever it was. Like, where are we at with his play and his relationship with the team? There may not be a more polarizing name you can throw at me in terms of opinions around the goalie world and the goalie coaching world. Um, unbelievable talent, unquestionable talent, uh, inconsistencies. And then the question that I frankly don't have an answer to, Ryan, is how much of the struggles of the past three years are just, you know, accumulation of being behind that team? You know, stick with the Edmonton theme, everything coming back to Alberta. Like, there was a period there where, like, the Oilers just, like, chewed up and spat out goaltenders. And I could see from the outside, like, this ain't the goalies, folks. Like, you know, if every backdoor pass gets through, eventually you start cheating. And when that happens to goalie after goalie after goalie, I'm telling you, it ain't the goalies. And what I can't tell you definitively is how much of the slippage in Gibson is the Ducks and how much of it is is his style of play. Because he's already sort of polarizing in terms of elite skill. But some would argue a reliance too much on that skill, that technically the foundation, as much as it has been tightened up, uh, it's still not tight enough. There will always be inconsistencies, ups and downs, maybe more than some people like in his game because of that reliance on skill. I think he's tightened up enough. I think a lot of this is the team in front of him. Uh, I don't have the same criticisms of his game now that I did you know, even even when his numbers were better, I, I think there have been improvements. There are still things he does in terms of, you know, the way he moves. Uh, he does go sort of body first, limb first at times and stretches and reaches and puts himself in vulnerable positions that, for lack of a better term, literally pulls his body apart in other directions. A lot of counter rotation in his game that um, I think Lee has led to injuries early in his career. But again, a little bit less over time. So why haven't the results followed? And there's been a resistance 
um, purposely in Anaheim by the goalie coach. I've had this conversation. One of the one of the greats, one of the good goalie coaches in the game, Sudarshan Maharaj, um, about not trying to make him too technical, because a real belief that you'll lose some of the things that make John Gibson special if you crank the reins too tight. And I don't disagree with that in any way, shape, or form. So what we're left with is, you know, trying to decide how much of the inconsistencies and the struggles are his game and the evolution of it and how much of it is what's going on in front of him. And when I look at this season and you split it up sort of pre-All-Star and post-All-Star, and I think especially as when that team was competitive and finally scoring again, because that was massive. For the two seasons previous, you know, I've talked to Ryan Miller about this, talked to the goalie coach. Like, it was hard on the goalies. They didn't score. Like, Miller and Gibson went into every game thinking one goal might be one too many. And that is a really hard way to play, especially when, for most of those two years, they also weren't that great defensively. So um, there's a lot of outside sort of stressors that I think contributed. I think when you look at his performance the first half of the season before they started sort of parceling out veterans, once they realized they weren't going to make it, when they were competitive, when they were scoring, when they were sort of relieving some of that pressure, man, there were still a little bit ups and downs. There were still some blips where you could have argued Anthony Stollers outplayed him. But there were also like stretches of two and three weeks where if you were paying attention, he was just unreal. And so the question for other teams is, is the uncertainty of how much of this is him and how much of this is team? Is a little bit of inconsistency that I think may always be there because of his game? Is that worth the risk of five more years at $6.4 million? Um, you know, I don't have an answer, but I think because of the term alone, I might be looking elsewhere for answers Ooh. if I was a team looking for a number one goaltender. He, you, you mentioned the polarizing. I mean, that's in the goalie community from afar. It's, it's exactly that as well. It's just like, how does a guy that was so elite so early look so lost at his age when there's a guy's decade older than him? Still in the league. Like, there's so much runway left. Uh, I, I'm fascinated. I have no idea what to expect from Gibson next year, no matter uh, where he lands. And well, probably and, and a big that, name to watch, right? And and there's and, and the fact that there's people in the goalie community that feel the same way, like that I can get two separate opinions like yeah. from people I really trust that will say, not touching them with a 10-foot pole, and another guy be like, give me that all day long. Like, yeah, I would let me take buy that low. in a heartbeat yeah. for my number one. Yeah, exactly. Crazy. And so, but the fact that because of the reputation, there's enough teams that feel the other way. So your acquisition cost is going to be really high, right? The, the, the acquisition yeah. cost, obviously Anaheim's selling it based on the high side and the people that see the upside. And like I said, he's not that lost because there are times this year, I don't think people were paying much attention to Anaheim, but he had some, some periods and not just like moments here in a game there and a game there, but I mean like, you know, extended periods, like a couple weeks, three weeks where he was like, he was really good, Ryan, like really, really good. Um, but you know, is that enough? So your acquisition cost is going to be high. Your term is pretty high. And, you know, at a time when we're seeing, like, Shesterkin at 5.6, and we had this conversation to start this off about, you know, durability and how much you spend on a goalie. Like, Thatcher Demko's locked up for five years at five. Jacob Markstrom's a Vesna finalist, and, you know, his free agent contract was six. Are you going to give up assets to get John Gibson, knowing that he also comes with five more years some of the question marks, and $6.4 million against the cap all five. It's a risk, and it's a risk that I think fewer teams than you would expect are going to be willing to take. 
Interesting. Okay, off season, you, you really want to go inside baseball. Uh, coach goalie coaching vacancies and pinch points on number threes organizationally. We're getting deep into the in goal magazine catalog here. Well, hey, well, hey, banging the goalie coach drum is something I always like to do. So what we're at three now. Toronto announces um, that they're not going to bring back Steve Briere as their goaltending coach. His contract's expiring. Kind of thought that might happen. I'd heard that they had told him all year a contract extension was coming, and it never came, and that's not usually a good sign. Although, I've seen other teams do that, and that's just because that's how they regard the goalie position. They leave it to the last thing. Um, so that happens there. Interestingly enough, I see a lot of people in Toronto sort of speculating, oh, let's go get Mitch Corn, let's build an apartment, you know, because Mitch is, Mitch is still under contract till I believe, the end of June, like most people are with the New York Islanders. Um, I'm not sure what his future holds beyond that. A lot of people just assume it will be tied to whatever Barry Trotz expects to do. But as we see some of these other vacancies creeping up, what did I tell you about Barry Trotz? I thought he might take a year off. And I know he's in the midst of all these interviews, but I'm still not convinced he doesn't take some time off. The other thing is geography. Like, I'm not sure Mitch is going anywhere in the West. So all the people in Toronto clamoring to go, maybe go get a Mitch Corn and create a department. Steve Breer, the guy you just fired, was handpicked by Mitch Corn for Mike Babcock when he was with the Toronto Maple Leafs. Babcock wanted a, someone he could trust in the position, so he called one of the best and said, who's the guy? And that's how they got Steve Briere. He's the longtime disciple of Mitch Korn. Hell, if Mitch Korn gets a goalie directing job, he's one of the names, although there are others, that I think he'd consider for the goalie coaching position. So, like, people in Toronto need to understand how the math works here. Uh, also, I've heard, you know, John Elkins in Toronto, and he may be sort of already in a type of director's role. So I'm really curious the way that goes got vacancies in seattle um you've got vacancy in detroit i think there are other contracts expiring around the league that i'm not sure will get renewed as well i'm expecting to see at least two more vacancies come up this summer in the goalie coaching fraternity and this monologue is not to sort of like not a lot of specifics about those positions but it's more to sort of paint how how good the flames are relative to that in terms of how they've managed this um, creating a department, having a director, keeping everyone involved, getting everyone on the same page from top to bottom. Like this is the future. And yet we see teams that haven't embraced it now in a goalie coaching search. And frankly, in some of those cases, based on some of the things I he- hear, I'm not, I'm not convinced the people that make the decisions in at least a couple of those cases really understand the position. And so what are they making those decisions on? You know, and Vegas is going to be open. It's not technically, but they basically fired the coaching staff and told the goalie coach, you'll get the interview with the new guy. So does that mean that the new head coach is just going to pick his guy? And I understand the head coach would want his guy in the goalie coaching position, but we've seen that fail spectacularly in several other spots because they hire a buddy as opposed to someone who actually really understands where the current game is at, the modern game, and how the position has evolved in the National Hockey League. It's, it's problematic. There are still too many teams making the wrong decisions because they're using the wrong qualifiers and, and, and don't necessarily understand the position uh, in terms of what a goalie coach can and should do, but don't understand the position of goalie, and they're going to hire someone that's going to dictate how it's run in their organization. Like, it's it's remarkable to me, but you do end up with a lot of blind leading the blind decisions being made around the league. And it's, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if we see a few more this summer. 
Uh, one quick note, and we'll let you go. Uh, the first thing, one of the first things we heard about Barry Trotz when he was let go by the Islanders was what does he want to do? And there was sort of this thought that, you know, yes, he's an elite coach, but he, he might have been sniffing around, okay, can I somehow weasel into – weasel's the wrong word. He's earned whatever he's going to get here. But yeah. uh, can I work yeah, my way fair. into uh, player personnel? I, I, I wonder the longer this goes and the more we see other coaching gigs doled out where he's really the king domino here, if he's not trying to find a spot where he's got significant personnel, say, or – you know, an assistant GM now, or even just a contingency plan down the road where he moves up the organizational chart instead of into the unemployment line like all coaches do after three, four, five years, whatever it may be. I keep coming back to that because we heard it early, and I haven't heard a lot of talk since, but if that's something that insiders thought he wanted right out of the gate and it's taking a long time, maybe he's still trying to find that. Yeah, no, it's entirely possible, entirely possible, Ryan, and maybe he's having a tough time finding it, or maybe there's only one team that's offering it, and they're not the ones that are filling vacancies elsewhere. That's entirely possible. I'm just saying, um, I know some people that have a pretty strong relationship there, and from the get-go, their their impression was, don't be surprised if he decides to take some time off. Mm -hmm. The, the, The Islanders are paying him four sheets regardless next year, so... Um, it's been nonstop for him. If you think about going from Nashville to Washington, where he had to completely rebuild how they did things. Like that wasn't just a coach going in and changing, you know, the systems. Like you're talking about changing culture. That's what Barry Trotz is about. Mm-hmm. And then he, he goes all the way to a cup final, wins the Stanley Cup, and now he's got to go redo the same thing with the, with the New York Islanders. And look how deep they went in most of his years there. Like there's, there hasn't been a lot of downtime for this guy. Um, been one big project after another for, for a lot of years in a row here. And so, you know, again, who knows? Uh, when your name pops up in that many vacancies and interviews, you know, clearly there's an appetite for something. I'm just not sure. Like, and maybe, maybe you're right. Maybe it is an appetite for something different, and that's what he's holding out for. Like I said, just people that I trust that know him really well, um, really well have said don't be surprised if he takes some time off and so as much as there's been indications around the league that he's in the job market and looking at things i can't help but to come back to that just because it's it's people that i know know him well and, and and that i trust so i wouldn't be shocked either way based on how this is all playing out great chatting uh we'll do it again we'll be right in the thick of uh the stanley cup finals we're only one game in now be well and uh we'll check in soon I appreciate it. Have a great weekend. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you, sir. Kevin Woodley, Ingle Magazine and NHL.com based out of Vancouver, all things net mining. Lots there. Lots there. Your goalie guy, that's uh, that's goalie porn right there. Uh, that's a lot of it. goalie stuff there. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The VH, the post integration. Oh, yeah. Third string. It says, oh, Adjusted save percentage. Goalie, goalie department's here. Yeah. Goals above expected. Ah. That's how we roll on Sportsnet today. We're giving oh, you what yeah. you want, goalie nerds. Hey. Love chatting with Woodley. Uh, Sportsnet Today brought to you by Wild Rose Brewery. Don't know if I'm going to be able to get my hands on uh, Wild Rose beer this weekend, being no. out of the province. Yeah, but, it, but you can buy and find your favorite Wild Rose beers at liquor stores and bars around Alberta. And if you're in Calgary, where they proudly brew their beer, go check out the Tap Room and the Curry Barracks restaurant as well. Not just delicious beers. We Wonderful menu as well. A lot of good food. A lot of good food. We'll take a break, come back, reaction to game one, a look at, uh, well, pretty big set for the Toronto Blue Jays after a matinee on their airwaves today. Blue Jays, game one, 
And uh, we never really finished the cram session. That's hilarious. There's a judge out here just hammering a dart on his way into the courthouse. That's amazing. Wow. Okay, we trust that guy with good decisions, right? Um, Cram session continues to come back. F1 this weekend in Montreal, the the lone Canadian stop. I'm going to get learned up here. Sportsnet 960, the fan. Here we are on the 16th day of June. One game down in the Stanley Cup final. How many to go? Well, we just don't know. We're hoping there's six more. If they're anything like game one, that was great. Vasilevsky was busy. The Avs took control early, but two goals in less than a minute from the Tampa Bay Lightning, and we had ourselves a game that needed overtime. It's a gooder. And game two goes Saturday, a couple days off. We'll uh, continue to watch the Nazem Kadri return to play timeline. Hmm. Very murky, but hey, it's injuries in the NHL in the playoffs. We should not be surprised when we don't have a lot of notice of who's back and when. Blue Jays matinee on your radio today. Kevin Gosman will be fired up. The free agent acquisition of the Toronto Blue Jays, who they tried to acquire two years ago but couldn't, finally did last offseason to the tune of, what, five years, 100-plus million? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like two million less than Robbie Ray, something very nominal like that. With taxes, he probably makes less than Robbie Ray. Pitching better than Robbie Ray. Going up against his former boys. Against his old crew, the Orange Birds. Bluebirds, Orange Birds. And if Matinee. Kikuchi against the Mariners, really good this year. Barrios against the Twins, really good. Oh. Oh, Gosman. Oh. Maybe. And he needs one. He's not been the greatest the last few outings. So. Who else do they have? Manoa doesn't have an old team. Ryu hasn't been good either. Well, I don't think we get the Dodger, and he ain't no. playing. So, <laughs> all right. Well, this a three, sixty percent of your rotation could be superb against former teams. Yeah. This is Gosman's first chance to go against Baltimore as a Blue Jay. It's been a couple of years in a different orange. He was with the Giants, really strong season last year, and uh, he's got Tyler Wells. Orioles aren't Orioles bad from last year, but they're not going to be a playoff team. But there's some tricky bats in there. Mountcastle just hits dingers off Blue Jays pitchers for some reason. And they've got a lot of young, toolsy players, some quick guys, yeah. some power in there. Um, and, and, yeah, first overall pick that hasn't quite panned out yet, but that doesn't mean the story's over. And another one coming up in a matter of weeks here, or there you actually go. a month, I guess, with the draft. So, yeah, no, I think it'll, it helps a team like Baltimore out playing against teams like Toronto, New York, Boston, and Tampa. These are the guys you want to be with in the next few years. Well, Good you're going to be because yep. you're not going to get better competition playing in the AL Central and West right now. No, you're measuring yourself against the best. It could be four teams from the AL East going to the postseason. That'd be significant. An expanded playoff. If four of the six playoff spots in the AL go to one division. Oof. And that's kind of what we're on track for in the AL East. Baltimore, excuse me, Boston's got their uh, poop in a group, got their crap back together. Yankees are rolling. The, the Rays look like the Rays. Guys have never heard of throwing 100 from weird arm angles and trading away veterans that are about to make money for rookies you never heard of that turn into stars. It's the Rays do raise things. And the Jays, uh, yeah, there they are in second. 12 games over 500, a very difficult portion of the schedule behind them. They've been into the softer bit of late. The Baltimore, Detroit, Kansas City, Minnesota portions. Yankees this weekend. Friends of the show, Barry Bruss, John Bender going to be out there. Love that. Uh, that'll be a great weekend. Yankees, Jays, and Father's Day on Sunday. Oh, yeah. Good times to be had for sure there. Uh, 1 o'clock, we'll take you there following a best of Boomer noon 
till one matinee Blue Jays day means no big show. We'll go right to the Flames talk and unnamed football show following baseball this afternoon. Five minutes. I'm on a plane uh, this <laughs> afternoon. I'm looking at the Red Bulls driver standings. Probably uh, I don't need to go look at the constructors standings if I see Red Bull with Verstappen and Perez 1-2. Yeah. Uh, I think I know what's going to be at the top of the constructors standings, right? Yeah, Mercedes has won what, the last like seven Going back to 2014, they won the last seven constructor titles, and that's obviously led by they had Lewis Hamilton, Valtteri Bottas winning titles and whatnot. But uh, it's Red Bull. It's been a while. 2011, the texture said, you know, Sebastian Vettel, he brought Red Bull back up or brought them to their prominence, and then they settled down there and they got Verstappen in. So, man, they're running away with this thing. It was supposed to be a decently close year, but I didn't think we, uh, you know, I don't think anybody really expected. Uh, Mercedes to be down this far. They're third and significantly back of first and quite a bit behind second Ferrari. Uh, and, and I'm a season behind. I'm doing the drive to survive thing. It, it, the, the narrative seems to be they've won so many that it's just easy and maybe they're, it's only human nature to just relax. When you're chasing, you're just hungrier. That's the way it is. And that's been Red Bull. Yeah, right? exactly. And it's like you, you can only you win so much and then the technology, everybody's catching up with Mercedes technology wise. And it's 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 good for the sport. You want to have, you see, you don't want to have, but I don't know. It seems like Red Bull's just running away with this thing because it's kind of getting back to where that Ferrari dominance was about 15 years ago. And somehow Lewis Hamilton is sixth in the driver's standings with one podium. Yeah. Not, uh, and it, like <laughs> 62 points on the year. Like this, he's on probably his worst clip since maybe his rookie year, I believe. Okay, so who am I cheering for, and where's where's the fun times? What do we? Uh, well, we, is there a sneaky good? We like we the to, Dutch, right? Verstappen being a Dutchman. We love the Dutch. Uh, we, you know, we so, like Dutch soccer. Yeah. We like uh, the, the Dutch's view on society. Do whatever you good want. Country. Don't don't do it on my front lawn. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, they're that like the Dutch. Yeah, like you, if you want to, like yeah, Red Bull. I think they'll be like Ferrari will be a big support there. With uh, with it always is in Quebec there with the Ferrari group. Uh, one Canadian in the field, two, two. Stroll and, uh, and Latifi. Latifi. Yeah, neither anywhere near it. Neither Latifi still has, doesn't even have a point this year. So yeah, and, yeah. and Stroll has two. He's in the Aston Martin. Mm-hmm. Botas is t- his teammate. So all right, Vettel, okay. Vettel's his teammate there. Is that right, Vettel? Yeah. Oh, sure. I was looking but, at Romeo. Yeah. yeah, okay, my bad. Yeah, they're not having a good year, Aston Martin. Okay, hmm. okay. And then anyone else? Uh, if, if I mean, George th- Russell's a guy that I think a lot of people want to see him finally get his first win. I think that would be really exciting to see. He's For English, Mercedes, he's okay. An English guy. He he was he took over Bottas's seat um, at, at Mercedes. So I think a lot of people would love to. I know the UK guys would love to see George Russell take over Lewis Hamilton's role in that uh, the next big English driver. So you know, I think a lot of people would love to see George Russell win. But I mean, Sergio Perez, like Charles Leclerc, he's had a lot of bad luck this year. So that would be a cool win for him too. Okay. All right. Well, I feel better. I'm good on the off the, off the track. I'm I'm set up. It's just the on track. I need a little help with. Uh, like Daniel Ricardo, he's he's Australian, so you got some Aussie love there. He had a rough year last year to start with uh, Red Bull. Yeah. Not, not no, no, no. Red, Red Bull. Yeah, it was Red Bull. He's not having the greatest year this year either. So, uh, and then there's Fernando Alonso still killing it. He's been around forever. Okay. Well, this is all, uh, yes, this, Pinder, this is painful. This is like me trying to talk basketball. Yeah, oh, the, the, what about the tall guy? He sure, boy, he can he can really uh, dunk it in there. <laughs> yeah, those tall guys sure are close to the net, Ryan. It is kind of that level of fandom. It's never been my thing. It doesn't mean it won't be. It's just, there's lots. There's not. There's no shortage of sports. I'm happily heavy into baseball and 
NHL postseason and international soccer a little bit here or there. Love the big tournaments. We got a World Cup this fall. Canada's finally relevant. What's it going to be like cheering for Canada at a major international soccer tournament? Well, it just makes sense that it'll be in the winter. <laughs> yeah, in, in the Middle East. Everything <laughs> makes sense there, for sure. Disrupting all the seasons. But no, like Ugh. literally, most Canadians have a team they cheer for at World Cups and major tournaments, be it Euro or something else, mm-hmm. that are not Canada because Canada's never there. Not since 1980. What like This is going to be a first-time weird experience for everyone under 50? And back then, I just don't even know how you'd be a fan. It's not like, you know, you, you barely, you didn't have HD TV. They, they bunny played ears. this on a CBC Sports Saturday when they qualified in 86. In there a you go. Farmers Field in St. John's. 86, okay. Thank how, you. We, how far we've come along. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so no, I, I'm it, ready for it this winter. And, you know, like, they haven't had the greatest of the last month and a half here in the no, news cycle. No, three losses in five, but and it's the all right. Iran debacle. It's, you uh, got to sort it out for September. Yeah. And news today on the venue sounds like Vancouver yes. is indeed going to be in. We're FIFA in. always wanted it. It's just that certain governments wouldn't give them I, all their tax free money. They wanted. I worry about Edmonton. Oh, I think I, it's trouble. I we're think talking, I worry, hearing from Earth, it's big trouble. I think it's Toronto, Vancouver might be the one spots for it's 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 the renovations at Commonwealth. It needs grass. Yep. It's so. Eh, I don't know. Well, hopefully with that, like three o'clock or one o'clock, but I believe FIFA will be announcing the uh, the host for twenty twenty six. Uh, Flames talk no longer the nine to ten. It's called Sportsnet today. My name is Ryan Pinder. That's Patty Dumas and uh, GVP Super Intern of the Week uh, as well. That concludes it for us. You will hear Jeff Merrick next. Then some matinee baseball following a best of Boomer in the morning and right into Flames talk and the unnamed football show. That's your day. It's brought to you by Wild Rose Brewery, brewing the beer right here in Calgary. Check them out at their tap room in the Curry Barracks restaurant as well. In there, find your favorite Wild Rose beers and liquor stores and bars around the province. We'll talk again next week. See ya. Sports on 960 The Fan.